when you will have made him a body without organs, then you will have delivered him from all his automatic reactions and restored him to his true freedom. We take these lines to try to free ourselves of the curatorial theme, think in tensions, to think in movements that are in constant fluxus of energy movements. This is AI Murmurings, a podcast that explores intersections of contemporary art and artificial intelligence. I'm Carolyn Strauss, director of Slow Research Lab, a creative research and curatorial platform based in the Netherlands. This podcast is produced in partnership with the Australian Institute for Machine Learning and Sia Furler Institute, both at the University of Adelaide in South Australia. It's part of a first-of-its-kind artistic research program called Art Intelligence. Today I'm having a conversation with Enrique Rivera, joining me from Santiago, Chile. He's the director of the Santiago Media Arts Biennial, and he also directs the Chilean Corporation of Video and Electronic Arts. Hey, Enrique, it's really nice to be speaking with you. Thank you very, very much. It's a real honor. I want to start by letting people know a little bit more about who you are, as well as about your background. You're a curator who's worked with hundreds of artists in Chile and internationally. This includes having had your own gallery in Santiago, and something I find fascinating also from a slow research perspective, you initiated a series of artist residencies at astronomical observatories in Chile. I already mentioned that you are director of the Santiago Media Arts Biennial, and in that capacity, you sit on the board of the International Biennial Association. And I should mention that you also recently held a coveted two-year appointment on the jury of the Pina Bausch Fellowship Program for Dance and Choreography. So, Enrique, is there anything else we should know about you, especially in terms of why we're having this conversation today? I'm quite interested in the invocation that you are detonating here because one of the most deep observation points of this research, the influence of technology in art and society, this condition of the time out of joint and how communication between humans and relationship between humans and other species, it's dislocated by the use of technology. This is something that we have been trying to understand and bring into the discussion through the service of art in the context of culture. And the relation between science and art in this sense, it has a huge social responsibility. We take it from this point. Can you explain this in terms of the last edition of the Biennial? The 14th edition of the Biennial last year in 2019, and that had the concept of the fourth world, we opened on the 17th of October, and on the 18th, the whole country started a revolution. You mentioned that the curatorial framework you developed for the biennial was called the fourth world. What is it exactly? What does that mean, the fourth world? We take it from the 70s, this idea that the first world, the neoliberal capitalist, the second world, the communist, the third world, the underdeveloped, were already obsolete ideas of economy and society. The idea of the fourth world was quite interesting because we were integrating the knowledge 
the ones that are uncivilized, the outsiders, the outcasts that are bringing maybe a possible antidote to this poison of the current model of economy and politics. You mentioned earlier that the relationship between humans and other species has become dislocated. The biennial was positioned to invite reflection on relationships between humans and ecosystems. One important piece that really jumped out at me was this stated aim to chart the path back to Earth. Can you explain that? This is quite interesting because the 1972 UNCTAD-3, that was the United Nations Conference for Economic and Development, was held in Chile in 1972, was the same year where the Limits to Growth report from the Club of Rome was presented. 1972 was a year of warnings, not taking in count warnings, because 1973 then was the year of the military coup. 1972 was the moment that we gave us as country in Chile to understand scientifically why we needed to change and to apply another political model. There was a lot of money involved and a lot of influence. The nationalization of these mines was like a curse for the country. The necessity to transform this extractivist economy was for sure undermined after the military strike. The fourth world was to understand nature not as an extractivist source, but to have our creativity, our innovation as the sources of extraction. This is what the fourth world was all about. And in the midst of all this was a provocative artwork, which in fact you brought back for the 14th Biennial. This artist named Carlos Ortuzar, who made the sculpture, they placed the sculpture outside of the building where the UNCTAD 3 conference take place. This was quite amazing because this were an artist, Carlos Ortuzar, who was already experimenting on art and science and technology in the 70s in Chile, very influenced by mathematics and cybernetics. And the sculptor was like a kind of portal at the same time. Through the wisdom of the First Nations, we could find an antidote to this. So we opened the Biennale on the 17th of October, but then all these places became obsolete because the fourth world suddenly were represented on the street. You could see people on the street making art, representing this curse, 1972 idea of the elimination of this economic system and the replacement for a more sustainable one. For us, was very important because we felt in a collaboration with all this force, this energy, transformation, maybe was like a kind of hope of the possibility to change, the possibility to reconnect and to recreate the images or the symbols of a past era, the possibility to create this fictional archaeology somehow. So with this idea of offering a fictional archaeology, basically you created a curatorial mechanism for reflecting through time. Is that right? We understood that there were in Chile a uh, history on this interdisciplinarity, but also with a lot of respect. It was not like we will create a new economy based on technology, but they had already a critical view on the use of technology that you could connect with, for example, what Paul Virilio was explaining with this concept of tromology, the idea of the acceleration of humanities thanks to the use of military technology by common people. 
the idea of the warning and how you have the possibility to have access to the content of the warning and to apply it now. It's a gift because we're still alive. We can, for example, interconnect now through this conversation, but not just share ideas, but possibilities and methodologies to have a direct action on this situation. There is where I found the real value of design, architecture, art, science, and how through this interconnectedness to this art of the interconnected thinking, we can understand that we are too fast, for example. We are not understanding how our consciousness is being dislocated. One of the main exhibition themes of the 14th Biennial in Santiago was Situated World. This was directly inspired by Donna Haraway's term from her 1988 essay entitled Situated Knowledges, The Science Question in Feminism and the Privilege of Partial Perspective. I can see several direct correlations between Haraway's position in that essay and the idea of the fourth world. One thing in particular relating to what you're talking about is the danger of what she called the God trick of dominant knowledge systems, whereby they reinforce their dominance by seeing everything from nowhere, as she says. By contrast, what Haraway called situated knowledges in that essay are forms of knowledge that are embodied, that are partial, and thereby are more accountable than that everything from nowhere position. And she argued that when these situated or partial perspectives are woven together or brought into the same space, then what you get is a more adequate, richer, and better account of the world. One of the first actions of the Biennial was the screening of the Storytelling for Earthly Survival documentary film. We made it on the National Cinematheque that it's next to the, it's in the government palace. It's a cultural center that it's in the main building of the government. We saw it as an infection. Then we have this exhibition with the Danish and Chilean artists because we were coupling countries to create this contamination, this cross-contamination between symbolic and semiotic ideas. To think the situated world, not in a geographical way, but in the sense of the body without organs. This poem of Antonin Artaud that then was taken by Gilles Deleuze and Félix Guattari. When you will have made him a body without organs, then you will have delivered him from all his automatic reactions and restored him to his true freedom. So we take these lines to try to free ourselves of the curatorial theme, to think in tensions, to think in movements that are in constant fluxus of energy movements. The exhibition was based on two tensions, lithium, the use of lithium for energy, for this industrial digital revolution, and also lithium as something that helps you in states of depression. At the other hand, we take the astronomic studies in art. So we had the huge honor to present the work of Lea Portsager, Mille Kaltzmusen, that were dealing with this relation between meditation and particle physics, with a work that a residency that she made at CERN, Accelerator of Particles in, in Switzerland, and meditations. We connect that work with Francisco Arela, 
trying to bring this world of science and the Dalai Lama. Somehow this is a dangerous place. You know, as you talk about it, I can't help thinking of Laurie Anderson, who was the first artist-in-residence down in Adelaide as part of the Art Intelligence Project. And as you probably know, she too operates within this kind of tension or what you just called a dangerous place between what's known, what's unknown, the certain and uncertain, as well as between the scientific and the spiritual. Maybe it's similar to the body without organs, because she says this has to do with freedom, art as freedom. You know that for us, it was so ambitious, the idea to create this biennial. We used 20 museums and cultural centers in Santiago. We understood it as an exploration experience. We used for this the idea of the logbook. And you became somehow an explorer of the danger of museums. Here, to make art, it's a dangerous situation. The possibility to understand by your own view as a survival Speaking of survival, one of the pedagogical tools of the biennial was a bestiary, a set of creatures that were introduced to help guide the visitor through the biennial. You proposed that the visitors, and perhaps also the artists themselves, should become those creatures, and that through this process, they could learn new ways to survive in the world, to explore it through a different perspective, a non-human perspective. This is something that we understood, for example, in the interspecies communication, that we don't have the language to understand what other species can teach for us. How can we learn in a language that it's not the one that we are used to? And it's not like we need to unlearn what we know, but we have to add other, to open our intuition, to understand what these other species are telling us. There are so many other things and knowledge that we are not aware of. This came, for example, when we understand that we don't know nothing about dark energy or dark matter. The framing of a certain knowledge that it's now a mystery, even for science, through intuition, you have a possibility to understand things that are not in this occidental way. You started something within the context of the biennial called the School of Intuition. As I understand it, the school was born of a manifesto by the Mexican artist Abraham Cruz Viegas, who was the pedagogical curator of the biennial. Is that right? We started the School of Intuition before. We invite him to be like one of the deans. And this was amazing because for sure he saw it as a possibility also to integrate his ideas in discipline, the precarious and the fragile. Cruz Viegas is quite well known for a platform he calls autoconstruccion or autoconstruction, which is about precarious and collaborative building tactics that he learned in his childhood neighborhood in Mexico City. Really an approach that's inventive and improvisational that's based more on instability and chaos and the fragmentary nature of life. It's adding another layer to what we know. For example, in here in, the, in Ecuador, there is the Valdivia culture. There is this very, very interesting not academic knowledge. They talk about tetralectics, the possibility to add other dimensions to dialectics, to the way we understand and we communicate. The possibility not to unlearn what we know, but to accept that our knowledge, it's very basic. The way that we learn, it's just one aspect and we are using one part of our brains in a very domesticated way. 
the possibility to understand nature and other species to connect perceptually with the reality in a way that we don't understand yet. You know, it's really interesting to me how many contemporary artists recently have been actively creating schools, offering new propositions for the construction of knowledge. Many of our listeners will be familiar with the various schools that Tanya Bruguera has started. Olafur Eliasson had a school in Berlin for five years, the Institute for Spatial Experiments. In 2012, the Tate Modern hosted Ahmet Aout's Silent University for Asylum Seekers and Refugees. And at the last Documenta, Documenta 14, there was a school of listening. I think that the idea of education, it's infiltrating everywhere the possibility to learn in a non-classical standard. I really appreciate the contribution of hacktivism and the do-it-yourself or do-it-with-others possibility to self-thought or self-learning it's something very old you can find in many pre-internet contexts, the possibility to learn by your own or in your community. With internet and with the hacktivist community, this explodes in a very important way. And for example, we understand that intuition has been the more affected senses because it's an over-saturation of data. And this is how we learn, not in a situation of acquisition of knowledge for the construction of wellness or richness, but to survive. I'd like to jump a bit from here to talk about another important theme of the School of Intuition, which was the indisciplinary, not interdisciplinary, but indisciplinary, which is the unpredictable, precarious, undefined, nonlinear very much like Cruz Viega's approach to autoconstrucción, and as he himself says in his manifesto for the biennial, there is no exclusively or excludingly, there is no up or down, no north, no south, there is no left or right, much less the center or the periphery. I find that fascinating, though I can't help thinking about a text I received recently from the dance and theater dramaturge Ruth Little from the UK, who also focuses on the indisciplinary. And she talks about this in relation to living systems, which inherently are chaotic and complex and self-generating. And that feels very much to me like what the Biennial and the School of Intuition aim at, and they do beautifully. By moving between simplicity and complexity, between order and disorder, a certain freedom can be found. So here we are at freedom again. I will tell you something that maybe it's a cliche, you know, on the research on artificial intelligence. If we are teaching a new organism, a new body without organs, we are feeding this body, this entity, with a lot of hate for sure that we don't understand what will happen in the next hundred years because artificial intelligence or internet, data science, it's now like an axe. It's like we just discovered fire and we don't know what will happen in the next maybe 50 years, not even hundreds of years. Maybe we'll have a chance to create an entity that will have another perspective to understand itself, to have awareness of its own presence. That's what this AI Murmurings is intended to help tease out. 
It's a recognition that the technology is not neutral. It can only see and know through the filter of what it's programmed to see and know, and it will make representations based on the data sets that it's fed. As you say, we've been feeding it with very specific kinds of knowledge. That's partly because the people who are designing it are only a small representation of the people who will be using it and who will be impacted by it. But this means that who is designing it, what their cultural background is, what their gender is, what their worldview is, what their situated knowledges are, all of these will have an impact on how the technology lives and behaves in the world. This is like we just discovered fire. We are not using the fire in the most efficient way. We are not using internet in the most efficient way because we are not teaching our kids in school how these technologies are changing the rules of democracy. Democracy as an obsolete system because the incapacity of our politicians to integrate. So we have a lot to understand, a lot to see, a lot to bring into museums, but not to show the beautifulness of the objects, but the warning the past artworks or movements. So this is a responsibility for creators, for researchers, to integrate this knowledge, but not just in museums, but in Congress at the same time, to have a political stand on this situation and to participate actively in the political construction of cultural policies around the use of digital culture. Yes, I definitely agree. Enrique, I want to thank you so much for the time you've taken today for sharing your situated knowledge that helps me and hopefully also our listeners to more deeply reflect about what art can contribute to our understandings and our uses of emerging technologies. Thank you very, very much. This has been AI Murmurings, brought to you by the Australian Institute for Machine Learning, the Sia Furler Institute, and Slow Research Lab. The music you've been hearing is from The Resonance Canons, composed and performed by Christopher Tigner from his album, A Light Below, released in 2019 on Western Vinyl. To learn more, listen, and purchase Christopher Tigner's music, please go to wiresundertension.com. You can follow the Art Intelligence Project at artintelligence.ai. To receive updates on this podcast, subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or follow Instagram and Twitter. It's at AI underscore murmurings.